Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I do this every single time, so it's not like a recording that we just plug in before we start the podcast. Sammy is totally not an AI. No, I'm not. Uh, and neither is Ben, who is also a automotive journalist and also a very good friend of mine. So, Ben, before we get started and talk about cards, I want you to tell the listener where they can find all of your latest awesome work. Sure. Uh, you can find my work right now on the newsstand on Car and Driver. And online, you can find it at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, and at Haggerty. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, TechSpot, um, Automotive News, the Toronto Star, and uh, Car and Driver as well. Man, we've got, we're covering everything, man. We are all over we the place. We are everywhere. For if better, you haven't read our stuff, I'm, I'm embarrassed. For better or worse. <laughs> exactly. Ben, take us away. You, you've got the first and only car we're really going to dive into um, because I'm on a apparently an embargo for the car that i'm driving yeah so i was gonna I... say you were like on some kind of weird car celibacy thing but no it's no that was me last week uh because the, 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 my vehicle was stolen but this week that didn't happen <laughs> so <laughs> i managed to keep a press car for the full seven day loan which is an accomplishment uh, in montreal these days uh so i'm told it has been one week since a car <laughs> a car theft at this house <laughs> yes so i i i drove the 2023 nissan z and wow. uh, that's exciting for me because I own a Z. I have the first generation S30, which mine's a 78. And, uh, I, you know, to be honest, the Z is a weird thing for me because when I was growing up, I, I wasn't into it like at all. I didn't really find the vehicles to be interesting or cool or whatever. I was really an American muscle kid for a long time. And it was only later in life that I got into the Z. So I didn't, even though... What I was, you know, first learning about cars, the 300ZX and whatever was around and, um, you know, tearing up the mm -hmm. road with twin turbo power and all that. I, I wasn't really that aware of it. Like, I, it was around, but it wasn't it wasn't a focus for me. So I, I well, I mean, when you talk about that era of car, though, um, especially of Japanese cars, you're talking about a lot of performance and technology yeah. at this at this time, it right? was kind of like, the glory years. It was the the bubble economy in Japan yeah. where things were going up, 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 and real estate values were surging, and car companies were just pouring huge amounts of money into their sports cars to try and one up each other. And then that all mm -hmm. went away at the end of the '90s. So, wh why I'm mentioning all this is because the current Z, the new one that that just came out this year, it's not really new, and it's not really new in a bunch of ways, which is what's interesting. So. The first way it's not really new. <laughs> I love that. I love that you're going to drill into telling people right now <laughs> that um, what's interesting about the car is it's not new. Well, okay. what, it's it's not new. In, it's not new from a mechanical perspective, yeah. and it's not new from a spiritual perspective. And I think both of those things are are fascinating. So, for mechanically, what you have to know about the Z is it carries over most of the 370Z's platform. And the 370Z is a vehicle that was around from 2009 to like 2021, right? That's a really long time and essentially unchanged. You had a Nismo model, you had the regular car, it was a 332 horsepower for the base car in, in from the VQ V6, and the Nismo made like 350 horsepower. It was itself a small upgrade over the 350Z that had preceded it. Yep. which I believe arrived in 2002. I don't remember exactly, maybe 2003. Wow. So this platform 
has been it's it's seen some stuff, Sammy. <laughs> I don't. Re- I didn't realize that the platform the the three fifty Z is back there is back in the in the two thousands. Like <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> early two a twenty year old platform. Yeah, I don't know how different the three fifty and the three seventy yeah. platforms are. The I can motors imagine are not... that it's like enhanced, right? Like it's it's like uh, platform plus. Sure, but the motors the motors weren't that different. Like it was no. the the VQ that was in the three seventy Z was essentially as far as Nissan could push their naturally aspirated V six technology, and you could tell. I believe they did a little bit of. I mean, they were tweaking it over that two thousand nine to twenty twenty one period, but it started to get raspy. It started to get. It, it didn't really feel. That sporty, like the performance was there, but the experience wasn't great from the drivetrain. Um, okay. But what they did was they took the that platform, same wheelbase, same dimensions. They stiffened it and they gave it a, the, the suspension has been tweaked. So from a driving perspective, it has a lot in common with the 370Z. That's not a bad thing okay. because that car was fun. I mean, aside from it, it stayed around too long. And as a result, the interior wasn't great. It was a lot noisier than it, it really should have been. It didn't really match. They, they, they had to lower the price towards the end of its run because it wasn't competitive with cars at its original price point. Yeah. But it was fun to drive if you pushed it uh, and if you were willing to overlook a whole bunch of things. It was a decent value, I guess is what you could say. So, and I mean, it, it got better value later on in life i think they they wanted to have something that could come not i don't know compete but could be um in the same price bucket i think as those uh to- toyota subaru twins yeah it was down to like twenty nine thousand dollars i think at one point i mean point. that model didn't have a limited slip diff which was my weirdest i think i don't think it had that um which was my weirdest feeling about it but other than that that's pretty cool man <laughs> i hate to break it to you sevi but the base new base z doesn't have a number it's just z it also doesn't have a limited slip diff. What's happening? <laughs> it comes in three trims. There's a Sport, Performance, and Proto. Proto, there's only like 240 examples, and it's it's about 53 grand, I think. The base Why do you think C, they went with 240? The, I'm sorry? Why do you think they went with 240? No idea. Number? Um, the, uh, <laughs> the base model is about 39, and then the Performance is about 10 grand more than that. So I drove the Performance, which had... Wow. It, it comes 39. In, See, they, they established something with the last gen model that it could be as cheap as 29. Yes, but this car is is not – I mean, this isn't a holdover. The platform is a holdover, but there's some other aspects to it that are pushing that price okay. up, and I'll, I'll get to that. Okay, okay. Sorry, I'm interrupting way too much. Go but, um, tell well, me your story. Well, no, it's a conversation. But No, no, tell me. So the, the uh, spiritual aspects of the car that are also kind of recycled – I mean, there's two very clear aspects, in, in my opinion. The first is styling. I mean, if you look at the front of the car – they they tried to make it look as much as possible like the original 240, 260, 280Z. And the the most obvious thing they share is that big rectangular grill opening, which yeah. my car has. And uh, you don't often see it. Most people don't notice it on the original Z because there's a bumper that bisects it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on my car, I don't have the bumper. So I see it all the time. <laughs> and uh, at the rear of the car, you have the exa- almost the dead ringer taillights from the Z32 which was the 300ZX. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, you wouldn't think that these two styling components, like, cues from basically decades apart would merge together well, because it's like the rear of a Z32, the front of an S30, and the roof line of a 370Z. Yeah. <laughs> but it actually works. It works quite well. It's an, attra- okay. an attractive-looking car, and I have people constantly paying attention to it. Even when I was just standing beside it, 
and some guy stopped and just wanted to talk to me about it. You know, like, well, you're a very, you're like a very approachable person, and now the car that gives is somebody both. incorrect. <laughs> no, <laughs> and now the car adds an extra element to it. Um, when they debuted this vehicle, I was, um, I wasn't sure how I felt about the exterior styling because the profile, the roof line, like you mentioned, is very reminiscent to me of the last gen model, and then you've got these different front and rear um, cues. So, it, you, like you said, it's kind of like putting together all of these puzzle pieces to try to make one cohesive design. But you're the one who's seen it in person. You're the one who's, who's woke, like woke up every day to look at it. And it seems like it's, it's the only it's reason the I job. woke up every day, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> There's also like a crease in the hood, which really caught me off guard, like a Y shape in the hood. Have you seen this? No, I, I didn't notice that. I mean, I'm okay, sure I must've seen it, but uh, there is, there are more angles. Like in that way, it's similar to the 370, like that angular aspect. You didn't really have that. The first Z doesn't have a lot of angles. I mean, it has basic angles, but the body itself is um, aside from the hood, which um, yeah. has kind of a a center rising part. And uh, they added louvers at one point. But um, other than that, it's, it's not a particularly angular car. It, but uh, my car was wearing, the tester that I drove was wearing something called Ikazuki Yellow. Which Ooh. is, I would say, extreme yellow. Like, like if Mountain yellow. Dew made a yellow, this is what it would be. It's it is eye searing, uh, and I think it suits the card quite well. I've seen it in blue and gray and stuff, and I don't really think it brings out the details of the vehicle. But I, you okay. know, it's what about those wheels? Did you have this proto spec bronze wheels? I had raised so the performance trim. It comes with bigger brakes as well, and a little bit of extra arrow, like a larger spoiler front and rear. Oh yeah, look at how much bigger this spoiler yeah, is it's, on it's, the performance. It's very it's... small, but the the raised wheels I believe are the same as the Proto. I just think they're a different color. Yeah. So um, cool. But and so, the cabin. What about the cabin? Well, I will get to the cabin, but oh, okay. I want to continue talking about the spiritual aspects of the car. So this, the 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 styling is one thing, but the fact that it has moved to a twin turbo engine also ties it into the glory years of the Z. You know, like that mm-hmm. Z thirty two car we were talking about, the three hundred ZX, which was an extremely fast car for its time. Yeah. Um, and it's for for that whole period in the eighties and early nineties, Nissan was messing around with turbochargers. And that kind of all went away at the end of the decade. When the when yeah. the Z came out for the last 20 years, it's just been a naturally aspirated uh, V6. And my car, the original Z, was a naturally aspirated straight six. So yeah. there's there's a few different heritage points that they've hit on over the decades between the original and now. And to have them go back to turbo, I think, is nice because pretty much everyone they're competing against, which is essentially only one other Japanese car, is mm-hmm. turbocharged. So it would have been hard to justify an underpowered V6. Especially okay. when you consider that the, the the field of cars they're up against, like I just mentioned the turbocharged car, it's obviously the Supra. Mm-hmm. There's also the Camaro and the Mustang, which are priced at roughly the same point as the uh, Nismo, sorry, Nismo, the, the regular Z, yep. the base model, if you're getting a base V8. So if you're getting like a base GT or an SS, you have roughly the same power and roughly the same price, right around $39,000. So the Z is making 400 horsepower, 350 pound-feet of torque. Those V8s are making more torque. Yeah, um, a little bit more horsepower too, aren't they? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's like 460. Like 10%. Maybe 460 in some versions of the Mustang. Uh, I have 420, something like that in the in the, in the SS. But uh, the, the Super, I think, is what, 382? That's what it's rated yeah. at? And we all know that's not true. We know it's more than that. Um, but to get that, 
382 horsepower Turbo 6 Supra, you can't spend $39,000. You have to spend no. more than 50 grand. So this is the this is the a really um, appreciated thing here with the with the Z is that it's one powertrain um, throughout the trim trim walk. Right? Yeah, exactly. If you spend cool. thirty nine, so the base Supra is like forty one or forty two. So already it's more expensive than the Z, and it is comes that for with, the four cylinder. It's for the four cylinder. Oh. So you have to spend ten thousand more to match the Z's horsepower. That's a big factor. That's a big ask. A big advantage. For, for Nissan in this space. They're, That's a really big ask, in my opinion. I don't know how much they really think they're competing with Mustang and Camaro because those cars have a back seat mm-hmm. and it's it's maybe a bit of a different crowd. Um, but I will say this, the the base Mustang is severely outhandled by the Z, the Z platform, I think. I think the okay. Z is a much more interesting car to drive. I mean, I'm I not talking... reasonable, though, but you just said base Mustang. You mean by, like, Mustang, base Mustang GT? Yeah, base Mustang not GT. Not performance pack, nothing no, like that. Once yeah. you get the performance pack involved, you're spending a lot more money, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that the Camaro... Well, just, to, just to say, like, the, the potential of the GT, of the Mustang GT is, is there, you just have to... You know, you have to sure, but I, I'm just talking about price point. Like the the Mustang GT feels a lot heavier and drives a lot heavier than the, than okay. the Z does, even though they're not that different. The Z is now up to around 3,700 pounds. Um, but the, I think the Camaro G, uh, the Camaro SS in, in in stock base form, I think is closer, much closer to the Z because that Alpha platform from GM is just so sweet from a nice. handling perspective. I agree. Uh, it's, it's too bad it's terrible at, at everything else. At everything it, else. And you can't see out of it. <laughs> yeah, you and can't see every, out of it. Yeah, and the interior is like, yeah. uh, anyways. So so this motor comes from yeah. Infiniti, right? Like this is the same 3-liter V6 that we saw in 2017. When I liked the, it. I liked it back then. I don't know if I was the crazy one. I liked that engine. It was a great engine. It was in the Q60 and the Q50 Red Sport. But and you could have gotten more. Like <laughs> you, you, they should have put a manual transmission in that car because with the paired with the manual and the Z, it's a lot of fun. And okay. it's crazy to me to think that the the 370Z have been around since 2009, and then in 10 years later, when this engine came out, no one was like, put that in the 370Z. They were like, no, stay the course for the next five years. You're, you're exaggerating a bit, because I think there was a SEMA that I attended where they actually had that Infiniti engine in a, in a Nissan. Nissan didn't uh, build it. I think they did. No, it wasn't Nissan that built it. Really? I know what car you're talking about. Okay. It was someone who was a Z, an Infinity enthusiast shop, yep. and they had to do a lot of work to make it uh, function with a manual transmission. Okay. It was not an easy task. All right. Um, but there's no reason why that didn't happen other than the fact that Nissan had no money and no one was buying sports cars. And when you put those two things together, I don't think they wanted to invest in it. I think they were just like, you know what? Let's just kind of see, see how this whole sports car thing shakes out. And then Toyota kind of, kind of, uh, I guess you know, forced their hand when the Supra was introduced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk to me more though. Like I, I, I'm, I'm worried. You're going to, you're going to call me crazy. I think you're about to call me crazy because the 300 ZX that came out in 1990 had 300 horsepower. Yeah. Okay. That number has stayed, has not changed much for the Z platform. The, the, in fact, the, the first 350Z had less power because it was naturally aspirated, as you mentioned. The 370Z, by the end of its run, I think, had 350. Uh, and then um, this model has 400. Yes. In, but in it has... 30 years, we've gotten 100 horsepower. 
Sure, but there's a couple of caveats there. Um, okay. You have a lot more torque in this engine. 350 pound-feet is a lot more torque than you got in the VQ, which I think okay. was like 276 or something like that. And okay. the torque in the 3-liter uh, V6 turbo, it starts at 1,600 RPM, the plateau, and it goes up to 5,200 RPM, which is a really flat uh, amount of torque. And that's a very different driving experience than what you would get from the the VQ. The VQ, you really had to thrash it to have fun. You don't have to do that with this motor. But the other thing that I think you might be overlooking when you look at the ZX and this engine is potential because um, the VQ was really close to its limits. But the the engine, I believe it was the VG, I don't remember exactly, in the ZX, you could get a lot more power out of that uh, for, through the aftermarket, through tuning. And I'm sure the same is true from this Infinity-sourced motor. So Sweet. it's really... It's really I've, a... heard really good, I've heard really wild things on like the subreddit or forums about people just going nuts on those red... Not even the red sports, the twin-turbo 3-liter uh, in the regular like Q15, Q60 sports. Yeah, because um, it's built into that engine, right? Like it's not like yeah, the red they sports... had like beefier internals apparently, but people just didn't really care and just turned the boost up and were like, "Well, now I've got 400 horsepower." For sure, and and <laughs> I think that's awesome, man. You like, remember this engine? It shares a heritage with the GTR's motor. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a different. I, I forgot like, about that. Yes. If you fork, it's like a fork in the road where like Nissan's kind of leaving the VQ behind. Mm-hmm. And after having it be in the showroom for like 20 years. So it, in that sense, it's important too. I love that. I think that's going to be – I really hope that the aftermarket can embrace this car because to me, um, a, a, a tuned – first of all, the, the six-cylinder has been around for a few years, so it should be um, familiar. The the Like you said, the it is a fork of the GTR, which also has been around since, what, 2006? I don't know. Like 2007, long. 2008, I think. Yeah, 2008. Has been around for a long time. People should know that the GTR engine and, and that sort of um, um, architecture is capable of. And this could turn the, the like, to me, this could be the Z sort of secret weapon um, with the enthusiasts. For sure. Uh, the other thing, too, is it drives really well. And I well. would love it if you talk to me a little bit more about this this manual transmission. You just said that that engine and the, and the transmission goes really well together. Is that just a... Any manual transmission would, would work here? Yeah, or I think so. It just, it's a lot more fun than the 9-speed in the Infinity. That's for yeah, sure. Absolutely. The, the other thing that's nice about the Z is it doesn't have that weird electric steering system, the steer-by-wire that the oh, uh, yeah. Red Sports had, which was not a great system. Um, no. For those of you unfamiliar, N- Nissan felt the need to build a digital steering system for the Red Sports. I don't think it was just for the Red Sports, but for the Q60 and the Q50s, the sedans and the coupes. and. Yeah. Because this wasn't essentially, I don't know if it was a regulatory thing or if they just weren't, if they were just worried about it, but they had a mechanical steering system just alongside it that if the digital one ever failed, like the steer by wire, it would fail in a way that the mechanical system would drop into place, basically. Yeah, basically a clutch, I think. Yeah, so it was heavier and more complicated than yeah, it needed to be. Yeah, unnecessary. And and the the steering feel was honestly terrible. It was the worst part of that car, which is too bad cuz I liked that car in many ways. Uh, well, from what I understand it wasn't standard. Like you had to like somehow get it yeah. on so, these vehicles. So you so, could find these vehicles without it. Um so the Z doesn't have that. It doesn't have yeah. I think that part of that too was Infinity was like they wanted to push more of their automatic Climate driving effect. systems like steering yeah. and stuff and that was they thought that was the path to the future of that and that's kind of proven not to be necessary. I don't know well, of, like 
electric power steering systems don't really need to be steered by wire in order for that to work. No, you're right. I think Infinity wanted to somehow compromise between the performance of the car without the the negative um, um, associations with a sports car, which could be lots of vibration and noise or yeah, feel. Yeah, but I mean, even that, wheel, right? even that with an electric power steering system, you're not going to get that. So no, exactly. it was an they odd. Went, they went way too far. Like. It was an odd choice. Uh, in any case, uh, the Z doesn't have any of that. The Z steers nicely. It handles well. Um, it's very controllable. Uh, you turn the stability control off and you can point it with the throttle if you want to. I, I was driving it during a week where the pavement was a little bit cold. So it was easy to break traction in the rear with all that torque. Even in a straight line, it would do that. Uh, but I, I enjoyed driving the car as it was meant to be driven. I didn't take it on a racetrack, but I took it on a few challenging roads and found it very predictable. And that's kind of what I want from it. Um, it. So I think it's a fun car to drive, but, and and especially if you compare it to, as I said, the Mustang GT feels heavier. The Supra, I don't think is a fun car to drive. I think it's a grand touring car that's very insulated. And that's a huge point of difference between the Z and the Supra. And I think that's reflected in their price points as well, as right. to how they kind of expect people to be approaching these vehicles. So, that's that's a I don't know if you call that an advantage for the for the Z because you have a car that is it's you know the downside of that is it's very loud inside on the highway um the interior is not great it it feels decidedly average I the gauges are kind of strange like it has a nice digital gauge cluster I would have liked traditional gauges because I don't really like having you know in a sports car when it's off i'd like to see something on the dash instead of just black plastic but it has like gauge pods on the dashboard up top over the infotainment system and it has like turbo boost and turbo speed and i think the third one is um charge and in my z i have a charge meter i have oil pressure and i have um what's the other gauge Uh, it's a clock so you don't need to know how fast the turbo is spinning. No. Like that's, you never need that. So like oil pressure would have been nice or maybe engine temperature. You yeah, could, I would have thought temperature. You can put that stuff on the digital dashboard. Like you can kind of arrange it, but there's also, it's weird because you can put a boost gauge there too. And you can have the two boost gauges kind of fighting it out, like the analog gauge <laughs> and the digital gauge. Um, I'm looking at photos of it, actually a video of it that Nissan has shared. There's a lot of glare in these, <laughs> on these screens in the press material. And I'm wondering if you noticed that. Um, I, while driving, I didn't have a problem with glare, but okay. an issue an issue I did have was I was running Android Auto on the infotainment screen, and it was not responsive. Um, I would try to s- just change tracks or something, and it, I'd have to push two or three times sometimes, and that's not great. <laughs> and it was working outside of Android Auto. It was working okay though. Yeah, it seemed to be okay. Um, it, the, the car, like the other weird thing about the car, it has exactly the same headroom and legroom as the 370Z. And I want to say that the hatch is the same too. The hatch feels smaller than the hatch in my own Datsun, Uh-oh. which is crazy because my Datsun yeah. is way smaller and like 1,100 pounds lighter. <laughs> uh, in my in my Datsun, I could put like tools, a tire, my helmet, a whole bunch of stuff and go to the track. I picked up my, my partner at the airport in the Z and she had uh, like a regular carry on and then a smaller carry on. And then a couple of like tote bags. She would, she'd been gone for 10 days and I could only put three of them in the back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. A lot of stuff. It had to ride up in the front with her because it's very shallow. 
So like you okay. can't stack anything, and you can't put anything big near the back because of the slope of the hatch. So anything that's taller has to has to fit in the area between the shock tower, and there's a big connecting bar that separates the cargo compartment from the uh, passenger compartment, so that's taking up space as well. So it's like, you could probably do a weekend getaway in this car, but serious travel would be problematic. Um, I'm listening to you describe the performance to practicality to refinement uh, element in this car, and it's... It sounds a bit compromised in some ways. It's totally compromised because, I mean, it's a two-seat sports car. So Yeah. But so it's also I, compromised by its price point because I don't think Nissan true. had the money to put into this again. They did their best, and their best was, like, recycling styling cues and recycling an engine. Powertrains yeah. and platforms, right? Yeah. And I'm happy that they – I'm happy it exists. I don't yep. think it breaks any new ground for the car, but I do think it keeps them competitive with vehicles they haven't been competitive with for a long time. That's very true. That's important. Um, do you think that this this is going to sound insane? I think. Do you think that this moves up in terms of price point where they can offer something cheaper? I don't know what that could be. Sorry. No, I don't think that there's any They're way. No, they have no interest in competing. Why below would you want to race to the bottom? Like they already did that with the previous model, and it clearly wasn't a winning strategy. Um, at, at the only cars that are similar to this that are cheaper are the BRZ and the GR86. They have way less power. MX5. No, but it's it's. I don't think you can compare the coupe, the coupe and the convertible. Uh, I also think the MX Five is a radically different proposition. I mean, it is a two seater, but even even the retractable hard top top opens up. You know what I mean? Like, I, in the same way, I don't consider the Boxster or the Cayman to be competitors because they're so much more expensive. Okay. Like, I think that the mo- the cheapest Boxster is still ten grand more than the most expensive version of the Z. So, so when you when you describe the car to me, you seem pretty impressed with the powertrain the steering which is very good and and the handling um but are unimpressed with the the refinement i guess of the vehicle yeah. and the complete lack of practicality now i think in coupes and sport coupes two two seater sport coupes we used to be okay with you know the vehicles not being super practical the refinement thing is only worth mentioning i think because of the price point that it it sits at right at 40 grand it can't be too loud right well, it's it's is that odd. why like I'm just trying to justify your your, your at, four, at forty grand it shouldn't be as loud as like a GR eighty six inside. Yeah, and, and I think it, it is. It, it, okay, so okay. you have to be okay with that when you're buying it. You have to yeah. be okay with the fact that you're not paying for. So when you buy a Supra, right? You're kind. You're getting a grand touring car, and you're not. Well, getting you're not that, getting a manual. That's one thing you're not getting, right? You can, like you can you're get getting, a manual Supra now. Oh yeah, you can. Yeah, Oof, but uh, <laughs> you, uh, what but. But the Z is definitely not a grand touring car. Like it's it is a sports car in an old school kind of way. Like it's a modern yeah. interpretation of an old school sports car, which means that they didn't care about certain things. And that's, that's perfect. If you're okay with that at forty thousand dollars, which is honestly pretty affordable for that amount of horsepower, I think. Okay. Um, and I think it's a serious upgrade in terms of overall performance compared to a, a GR86 or a BRZ. Yeah. Um, those cars are aimed at a very specific clientele that, that, that I believe they're, what, 700 pounds lighter? Something yeah. like that. But and I, my biggest concern here is, this is going to sound stupid too, but I know that a lot of GR86 or BRZ, uh, GT86 or whatever they're called now, they're, they used to be called and are called now, they used to take them on the track, they used to put them at autocrosses, and I'm not sure that they're going to get the same feel for the track or the same in- enthusiasm to go to the track. In this car, will they? I think so. I don't see why not. Okay. I think it's, 
I think it's the same concept, and I, I hesitate to use the word more adult. Um, more, that, more power and more more like, power. The most for important sure. thing here is if the steering is right and the transmission is right. That's that to me is good because those two elements. But it has the pair same, them with a yeah. Well, the the, the the disappointing thing is it has the same weight as a Grand Touring car without being a Grand Touring car. You know <laughs> that heavy. I mean, thirty seven hundred pounds is is. This, I'm looking at thirty six for some models. That's like the same as my Cadillac, which is a four door sedan with a huge V eight. Your, your Cadillac is twenty years old. I know, but it weighs thirty seven fifty, and now we have a two seat coupe that weighs thirty seven hundred pounds. And they have I'm the same horsepower. Thirty-seven hundred pounds. Where are you getting thirty-seven from? What do you mean? Where do you where do you not see that? I'm on the press kit, and the most it goes out to is three is thirty-six oh two. Let me check. Okay. Anyways, you're adding hundred pounds just for nothing. A <laughs> hundred pounds is like you know. I'm seeing thirty-five fifty. Well, there you go. That's less than thirty-seven hundred. Thirty-four eighty-six. Okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> But that's okay. You're 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 overestimated. But it is right up there. The with, camera adds ten, adds a hundred pounds. It is you know? right up there with the Mustang, though. Yes, but the Mustang doesn't feel like this. it's hundred and fifty three pounds heavier than the than the three seventy Z. One hundred and fifty three. Yeah, if you're looking at a comparable trim level. And the Z was never particularly light. I'm sorry. And the Z wasn't something you'd call particularly light. It was average weight, you know. I don't know. I mean, like, if you're below 3,500, I mean, it, it probably weighs the same. What, what does the Cayman weigh? I think it's around 3,400 now. So well, that's this probably is pretty average, I would call it. Uh, Which says a lot about our market. Like, it says more about the market than it does in the car. But still, like, if you were to get into, I think that if you were to get into, like, a Mustang that had uh, a similar weight, I don't know. It just feels okay. like a more, I mean, the Supra is way more comfortable than this car is that's wild to me when i drove the super i found it stiff like i found it the super is actually lighter it's like 3400 pounds yeah i remember and, it feeling and, stiff and twitchy and especially on the track you need to be awake to drive it like but i just mean like in terms of like the interior uh, it's a more comfortable quieter experience yeah i mean the build quality is different i think yeah um i i feel like i'm boring you with some of these questions but um, is there any concessions for fuel economy in this car? Does it matter at all? I have absolutely no idea what fuel economy gets. You don't gets. care. I really um, okay. And do you think that the, the upgrades essentially coming from the last generation, uh, 370Z to this one, you got a lot of equipment in terms of safety features or driver assistance, um, eight, well not, yeah, maybe driver assistance aids, you can call them that. Is that... Do you like that? Do you care? Do you want these things in your sports car or not? Because I didn't we know in the, test them out at all whatsoever. We know in some of these cheaper models that we don't really care, right? Do you need blind spot monitoring or rear cross, cross traffic alert? I mean, this car has gaping? that, but... I, I know it has all these things, but doesn't that just bump up the price? No, I think that a lot of that stuff is federally mandated now and you can't not have it, so... Okay. You know, I'm not sure they're all of those features are. But no, but yeah, I mean, if you're designing a car with a new platform, you want to kind of future proof it. So you want right. to make sure that that te- that capability is in there so that when it does become the law, you'll be able to easily just add it in. You know, I also imagine all the technology is from the other cars that they have with those things. And, you know, you can't just pick and choose what you want in it. Or not. What do you mean? Like if we were to say, you know, the mandated the mandated part of the safety equipment is the automatic emergency braking. If we don't put in the blind spot monitoring and the lane keeping, 
and the rear cross traffic alert, you know, how will the technology is that that's making it more bespoke than it needs to be when you have all those features. I don't think so. I think it's more a question of like when you're designing um, the body, making Mm -hmm. sure you have room for all the sensor packages. That's true. You know, know, design it for the everything. Yeah, you do it. You do it right the first time and then you don't have to spend more money later redesigning it. Uh, the other thing, the last thing I want to point out about this car, and it's going to get compared to the Supra a whole bunch of times because, you know, that's just a very easy narrative to mm-hmm. kind of jump onto. But um, this car is actually built in Japan, and it's built by Nissan. Um, neither of those things are true of the Supra. And is The Supra is built in Austria? This, I don't know, but it's not built by Toyota. I love that you don't. And it's built by Magna, if I remember correctly. So, so <laughs> I mean, Nissan actually, despite the fact that this is a fading market, despite the fact that they, you know, they're not really focused on it, they took the time to actually, their most important iconic model in their entire history is definitely the Z. And not the GTR? No, not at all. The, the Z is the, the company. If it wasn't for the Z, Nissan would That's not true. exist in North America. I understand that, yes. So um, they took the time to actually do this in-house. Toyota, whose most icon- iconic sports car was the Supra, they were like, nah, we'll let someone else, BMW, you can handle it. Just go do whatever you want and we'll put a body on it and we'll say we tuned it. So you really have to give that to Nissan. Of course. I, I yeah. think that that's, I mean, maybe I'm the only person who cares about that kind of thing, but it's much easier for me to get behind a car that really is tied to its heritage in a meaningful way than a car that is a another continent's interpretation of what a Japanese sports car should be like. I always, I mean, I always struggle with that decision because I think a good car can come from anywhere. And sure. A good car can, but like if you have a car that's supposed to be your halo and you let someone else build it, that says a lot about your values. I don't know. It sounds like nationalism to me. <laughs> no, I, I'm just okay. Like if they'd had Nissan build it, then it's yeah. it's not nationalism. It's the idea that like you're sending but the like, message. BMW that this... isn't their competitor. You know what I mean? Like that's that's but, a different person, and it might be someone. I think BMW has a reputation of building decent cars. It's sure, not like they went to Mitsubishi, but you're sending them. The, you're sending the message. Nope, shout that, out Mitsubishi. <laughs> you're sending the message that this car isn't important enough for us to build ourselves. I think they were – I don't know if there's a message. I think the, the message – What's the reason why BMW built the car? Because they don't have – no one has the budget to build something like this. Exactly. money off of it. Because and it's not a priority for Toyota. The, car, the cost with other people. Toyota – why Nissan, instead of sharing the cost with anyone, just recycled all the parts from other, other areas in their company. But, but the, when you say they don't have the money to do this, you're sending a message that it's not important. If it was important, I mean, it, you would it, find the money. Isn't important in the fact. Yeah, you're right. Okay, it isn't important. So sports cars aren't important. I mean, they don't make the the, the automaker. It was money. important enough for Nissan to not yeah. do that, but Toyota said, you know what, we don't care. And and that's just weird to me. It's like sure. if you're gonna do that, don't call it the Supra. If you want to have a sports car that you're yeah. gonna sell, you just want to fill a hole in your in your showroom, and you want to farm it out. That's cool. I don't have a problem with that. But I have a problem with taking an iconic badge and then mm. farming out everything, and then essentially celebrating a heritage that doesn't exist which is what toyota's tried to have it both ways where they but didn't have to pay doing that i mean mitsubishi no, did it with the eclipse toyota no, the eclipse ford is, is doing not it with an the iconic mustang e the the eclipse is not an iconic vehicle and ford actually builds the mustang i i i can't think of another car out there that has a long heritage with one company that is suddenly being built by another company you know okay. like 
Like, I don't, I, I think it's cool that the BRZ and the GR86 exist because those companies are building them for each other and it's, you know, it's helping each other out. That's that's one thing, but to like if you if but you Toyota want, owns a lot of Subaru like that. Yeah, but it's but still like if if you they want don't own to BMW. No, they they have no relationship with BMW other than you know they wanted to share you know BMW gets access I believe to some of the hybrid technology that Toyota has vice versa, but the the, the point I'm making is you can't have it both ways. You can't say this is such an important part of our heritage and then not build that car. You're saying they, it is such an important part of our this name is important to our company. They're acting so like this they're is just a con- saying the name is important. No, That's all they're doing. They're acting like the Supra is a continuation of a tradition at Toyota when it's not. So they're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to they're trying to celebrate a car they don't actually build and didn't design. And that's absurd to me. You know? And Nissan didn't do that. Nissan is celebrating an actual heritage that continues on within their company. And you know, if you look in the 80s, there were some pretty crappy Zs that were out there. Mm-hmm. You know, Nissan they they built them. <laughs> they they they've taken ownership of that, you know. Like it's 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 always Nissan has always done the Z. They never just farmed it out because it was convenient or less expensive. They didn't just have like a Europe one of the European companies that they're allied with in whatever extremely complicated octopus arm. Of I'm like, going to I'm going to I'm going to push back a little bit because the platform that the last generation Z was on was shared on a bunch of other cars. It wasn't a big you're, you're, platform. I think you're not understanding what I'm saying. Okay. It was shared on other Nissan cars and Infinity Infinity cars that are built by Nissan. But I mean, if it's such a special product, I mean, if we look at the GTR, that's a bespoke vehicle, that's a bespoke product. That's why it costs $100,000. Did Honda have some other company build the NSX? Nope. Can you think of a single other company that has had an iconic model built by a competitor or a, a, a other brand? So, again... I think you're 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 pushing something so arbitrary at this point. But how is it how is it arbitrary though? It's like this is it's the halo. Just the name, like I mean, that's it. It's the halo car for Toyota, and they don't build it. Yeah, fine. Okay. I mean, that's weird. Like, if that's at, the pushing, if that's the pushback for you, I mean, that's it. Look at that's the LFA. Fine. If the LFA hadn't been built by Lexus, would it but have meant? Apparently, to nobody liked the LFA to begin no, with but until if, it's gone now. If, so the it L- even... if the LFA hadn't been built by Lexus, would it have really meant anything to the brand? Sorry, say it again. If the LFA had not been built by Lexus, it had just been batched. Like, let's say they farmed it all out. Would it really have meant anything to the brand? No. And, I mean, they learned their lesson from the LFA, which was they invested a ton of money into it, didn't get the reputation. I don't think they got the recognition they were seeking when it came out and didn't know what to do with the byproduct of of all of that. So they were like, we're not going to invest bajillions of dollars to make a perfect car. We're just going to figure it out um, the most cost-effective way we can. And, I mean, they didn't recycle. Like I said, they didn't recycle something um, from generations past or other other departments. They made they worked with um, an expert, I would say, in their field, in its field, to make the Supra. A the Supra worthy. is totally recycled. It's a Z4 platform. But it's new. It's somewhat new. What do you mean? What's the, the what's, only reason the Z4 platform continued was because Toyota was willing to dump this money into it. But that platform is new. I don't think it's entirely new. I think it's I think it's similarly new in the way that the Z's platform is new. Okay. I don't think that because I don't think there's enough money for them to do this that. This is a, this as far as I can tell, this is a a BMW platform. Yes. 
Yes. 100%. Um, okay. It's a, it's a modular BMW platform, I guess. Anyway, okay. we've kind of gotten pretty deep in the weeds there. I hope people I are still know. listening. I don't think it matters. To our but... weird, our weird difference of opinion. Yeah. <laughs> this um anyway uh, let's let's talk about something else now uh we had um there's a couple other things i want to talk about that are yeah. not related to the you've got some new things going on at home yeah well i mean i didn't want to talk about that but um <laughs> i i had a I, I had an ev charger installed that's, that's um, what i'm talking about what yeah. were you talking about i don't know forget Uh-oh. it um i had an ev charger installed this week a company called wallbox uh approached me and said we would like you to test out our charger and you know what? I drive enough EVs now that it's becoming somewhat of a hassle to you know walk up the block and charge and hope that no one else is there and hope that it's working and et cetera, et cetera. So I I was into it. Um, they sent me this charger called the Pulsar. It's Ooh, uh, nine. Another point, Nissan product. There you go. It's a, a nine point six kilowatt charger, and I believe is the the top rating of it. It's a level two. It is tiny, Sammy. It is like the size of you know, like those lunch boxes you had when you were a kid, like the metal lunch boxes. I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to have one of those. Why not? What, what did you take to school? What did you take your? I was the. I was the plastic bag kid. <laughs> really? Like the a, plastic grocery bag. It's like guy. every day a different bag, or did you have to use the same oh, bag? I had to use the same one. Oh, I don't know what is... your fancy metal boxes. I'm are. really sorry I brought this up because <laughs> I am sad inside <laughs> now. <laughs> I, that's why I didn't have so many. I didn't have. I had to find new ways to make friends. I didn't have friends at lunch. No one because they're like no nope, nobody plastic bags. Sammy. Nobody wanted to be friends with plastic bags, Sammy. Um. Okay. So <laughs> let me think of something else. It's roughly the size of an issue of car and driver. Okay. Uh. It's it's quite small. It has a twenty five foot cable. Nice. Is, yeah. Holy. That's a, that's a lot of cable. It it'll get from. The wall of my house all the way to the end of my parking spot, which is nice because the guy who was installing it, who was fantastic, by the way, he, he answered all my questions. He was really helpful. Um, he, he asked me what car I, I had bought, like what EV I had bought because he wanted to know, like, you know, which side the charge port was on and whether I was going to drive in or back in. And I told him that it changes all the time. I can't really control uh, how, you know, like each car company does it differently. So yeah. um, this little wall box... I believe the cost is like 650 US dollars. The installation cost about 600 Canadian because my electrical panel is right near the end of my garage door. So it was a very simple job. He says it could go up to about 1600, $2,000, depending on um, how much money you want to, how, how difficult the wiring is. But that's about $400 US. So all in, it was about a thousand bucks US to install and to buy the charger. Mm-hmm. Um but it wasn't as simple a process as I as I thought it would be, Sammy. Because so I my Datsun sleeps in the garage all the time. I'm never gonna have an EV in there, right? So I, I wanted the wall box on the outside. He's like, okay, I can do that. He's like, it's better if it's inside because you know the cold can sometimes affect how fast it charges. But I can put it outside. But then he suggested so I had originally talked to him about putting it on the inside of the garage and then um running like a hole through my wall and putting the cable out through that hole. Yeah. And he said I couldn't do that. He said that um, the the law in Quebec for installation and building code is if you have a major electrical appliance, you have to be able to shut it off from the outside. Okay. So I was like, okay, uh, that complicated the second thing I wanted, which was this wall box unit. You can either hardwire it or you can plug it into like a 220 volt yeah. dryer plug. So I was and like, the dryer plug, the, like just having the the regular plug or whatever you want to call it, the dryer plug, 
would be easier because you can move it later, right? Exactly. That's the whole thing. And so I was like, look, uh, how about we put the dryer plug on the inside? And then I put the wall box on the outside and we run the cable to the dryer plug. And he's like, again, can't do that because you can't unplug it from the outside. He's like, if you look at a lot of like air conditioning units on roofs and stuff, if they don't have an unpluggable connection on that roof, they have a huge breaker right beside them. He's like, there's no way around that. So um, he suggested putting it on the inside, putting the the plug I wanted so I could easily move it and then putting the pulsar on the inside and then running my cable out through the bottom of the garage door and coiling it on the outside. And I'm like, look, like this cable's pretty thick, you know, like it's going to leave a gap on the bottom of my garage door. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you could try to seal it. Uh, some people put like a bottom sealer and it works that way. But in my mind, I don't want a gap where like water and creatures and like snow and cold air is going to come in. Right. Like that yeah, doesn't that seem, sense. you know, doesn't seem good. So his, his next option was we can put the plug on the outside if you want, but he cautioned me about it for two reasons. The first is I only have so much space on the outside of my garage. That side is shared with my neighbor. Yeah. My neighbor bought a Sorrento PHEV. They haven't received it yet. It's been a year. That's a whole other story. But he's eventually going to install his own charger. And I can't just take up all the space, right? So he showed me the size of the plug, the exterior plug, and then put it beside where the wall box would be. And it was really ugly. And it took up a lot of room. And then he said, you know, like the other thing to keep in mind is that if you have this easily unpluggable car charger, um, you could have it stolen. <laughs> like they could just come up, That's grab true. it, yeah. take like the three screws or whatever it is and pull it off and they're gone. He's like versus where this hardwired, they're messing with like 60 amps of electricity. <laughs> yeah, they have to deal with that. Uh, so he recommended against that. He's like, I don't know what your neighborhood is like. And he says right now there's not there's so many government um, government programs to give you rebates on these chargers that yeah. there's no market for like secondhand chargers or stolen chargers. But he said that might not always be the case. So he really counseled me to consider that when I was installing it. So I ended up going with a hardwired through the wall uh, and just using, you know, if I ever have to move, I'm going to have to call someone in to kind of take it out and fill the hole for me. Okay. And, um, have you used it yet? You've, you've got it all installed. I have um, used it. Actually, tell me a little bit more about the features. You, you mentioned how long the cable was. You mentioned that it's hardwired. It's in. It it looks clean. You sent me a photo of it. It looks like a nice, clean install. It's yeah. A, it's a, it looks like sharp. Like I don't know how else to say it. It doesn't look hacky, you know? So the wall box, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty cool in a, in a few ways. So it's 9.6 kilowatts, but you the guy told me, so it's a 40 amp circuit, right? They make a 48 as well, which I think goes up to 11. Uh, but the one I have is 40 amp, but he told me that when you install this type of charger, you only ever use 80% of the available electricity because they, they're worried. I have a 200 amp box, like my, my fuse box mm -hmm. and a 200 amp entry for the house. But you do, like, I also have an electrical heating system that's 80 amps, right? And you start adding all this stuff up together. Uh, and he's saying, you know, if you have every single appliance in your house going at once, you don't want to max out your, 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 bo your box. Okay. So that means that my my charger doesn't charge at 9.6. It charges at like 7.6, which is roughly the 80% level. Okay. Um, it also it's has... It's still pretty usable. It's still very usable. It's equivalent to the level two charger you would find, you know, in a parking lot or on the side the road, of the street. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
It also, I can connect to it through Bluetooth, which means I can turn it on and off. I can lock it, which means it has, so it changes color depending on state, right? If it's ready, it's green. If it's charging, it pulses blue. If the charging is done, I think it stays a solid blue. If it's yellow, it means I've locked it so that if I'm away and someone parks in my spot, they can't just start charging <laughs> like on my dime, I guess. Um, and you can do all that through Bluetooth. You You're can... not going to add your house as a uh, as a spot on PlugShare? I am definitely not going to do that. <laughs> you should. Uh, and you can also connect it via Wi-Fi. And Think of all the it... friends you'll make. Yeah, I don't need more friends. But you can put it uh, on, on Wi-Fi and then do it like remotely through the web. I don't really want, you know, who knows how secure the wall box is like in terms of... <laughs> being on my network. So I don't want that to happen. Okay. But you can do that if you want. The other thing that's neat about it is if you have multiple wall boxes, like let's say you have um, two electric cars, you can set priority. So if you have like one person, they need more range typically than the other person does, that one can charge at a higher rate on the same circuit. You can have them on the same circuit and not max things out. So you can split that seven kilowatts however you want. It can also do it dynamically. You can have like five of them on the same circuit if you want to. It's pretty neat. Uh, in, in that sense. And the other thing that Wallbox does that other c- c- uh, chargers like Flow um, aren't able to do is it, most chargers, if you put two of them on the same circuit, it splits it in half. So then you'd go down to like 3.7 or whatever, uh, 3.8. This for for the Wallbox, you can tell it exactly how much of a split you want to do. So you could have five on one and two on the other kind of deal. So it's cool. it's pretty versatile. I don't need those features, but it's interesting that they're there. Um, and have you had a chance to use it? Does it, first of all, are there, is there like RGB lights when you turn it on? It's like a, well, no, I told, like I told you it has different like lights on it that, that indicate charge flow. I love it. Right. So it's like a big, it's an illuminated, uh, rectangular kind of, kind of light that it's, it's basically bordering the whole charger. Um, I love it. it, and I've used it. I I'm driving, uh, I just picked up a Mercedes EQS that I'm going to be talking about on the show next week. And when I picked it up, I had about 55% charge. And the uh, with the wall box, I plugged it in today and I went from 55% to 98% in about six and a half hours. That's so that's, yeah. that's really good. I mean, I, I used to charge these cars on 110 using an extension cord. <laughs> yeah. And like, I remember with a Maki, I did that and I got something like 20% over 14 hours. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, so this is a huge step up. And and the battery in the EQS, I think, is maybe even bigger than the one in the Mach-E. So uh, all, all to say, I'm pretty happy with it so far. I'm going to keep trying it with the EQS. I have a Bolt coming up in a few weeks, and it's going to be a lot colder at that point. So yeah, we'll, well, it'll be interesting to see how it handles um, the cold weather because we get some serious cold weather. Like, yeah. we really do. He told I don't me- know how intense it can get. I know that uh, some people have complained about the cable on the wall box. It doesn't. It gets stiff in the cold. He told me that in a, on a summer day, the best thing to do is to fully unravel the cable, lay it out in the sun, and then when it's heated up, coil it so as tightly as I want it coiled on the, um, I guess the the coiler, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and and that way it'll it'll when it cools down, it'll assume that shape and it'll be more compact. Uh, but he didn't. You know, he also said that having things outside exposed to the weather is not particularly great. So I'm curious to see how that, how that affects it. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to hearing from it. And uh, I'm sure our listeners might have some questions about, uh, about your installation experience and anything else. So if you do have any questions, I really encourage you to reach out to us on 
um, social media or our website. I'll start by saying um, you can find Ben and I on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. But more likely, you'll find Ben on Instagram, and you'll you'll ask him all of his questions, all of your questions there. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Additionally, if you want to uh, reach out to us with uh, with old-fashioned email, you can do that. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or I really encourage you to head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out. It lands in our inbox, and we'll respond as soon as we can. Um, or we don't even need to respond. If you just give us a statement, and we'll hear it, and we'll hear your feedback. It's <laughs> uh, great. We do. I do actually have it. We do actually have a, a listener question this week that I wanted to answer um, yeah. from uh, Raiko in Australia. They write in to, to ask about the 2022 Audi S3 hatchback. Um, now, cool. this is a vehicle that we do not get in North America, but we do get the sedan version, which is essentially identical. And we talked about it on an episode. I want to say it was episode 270, which was uh, published in April, end of April. So April 24th. So Reiko, if you, if you, uh, I hope I'm saying your name properly. If, if you want to hear my thoughts on that car, you can listen to that episode. Uh, I can tell you from the notes that I have, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice balance between luxury and sporty. Um, it's not as hardcore as the RS3, which is nice in the sense that it doesn't beat you up. It has decent power. And uh, compared to the Golf R, which is a similar platform, I would take the S3 because I find the interior is just way easier to live with when you look at that. Um, we, we've complained so much about the infotainment and pretty much every like last, I think it was last episode, we were talking about how terrible the the HVAC controls and stuff are in that car. Uh, so generally my my impressions of the car are positive, but if you want to get a, a fuller appraisal of my feelings on the S3 that you're looking at, you can listen to episode number 270 from April 24th. Um, what else were we talking about? Website. Head on over to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. What, what happens at the website? What happens at the website? You'll find all of our previous episodes. You'll find photos of the cars that we're talking about. Okay. And yes. Yeah, go on. No, I'm excited. And you can subscribe to our podcast um, using a bunch of buttons at the top so you uh, never hear another argument from Ben and uh, – you never miss another argument between Ben and myself. <laughs> can you imagine if there was a button that would make it so you would never hear another argument between the two of us? That button How would many be, episodes would there be? That button would be worn out. <laughs> um, what else do we have to tell people about? Sammy, just follow us on your podcast client. That's the easy, easiest way to to subscribe, I think. Just search for us, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. I thought, you know, while you were talking about um, the contact information, I came up with another iconic car that's built by a different company. Sure. It is, remember how important and special the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid was yeah, a vehicle that was the number one selling plug-in hybrid vehicle <laughs> yes. in the world. In the world at a time, yes. And then they threw that all away so, that, Nissan, to so make that, it. that Nissan could make it. And and now now it's just a shell of its former self. It's it's not there's nothing Mitsubishi about it. And honestly, a tragedy on par with what Toyota has done with the Supra, I think. I, I have some other ideas uh, for that for that question, but we'll, maybe we'll talk about it another time for a feature, I think. All right. Um, if you guys have some some ideas, definitely reach out to us. We would love it. If you like what we do, we're doing, um, and you, why not, right? Like, you must like what we're doing to listen to us for so long. We have, like, what, 300 episodes or something? Oh, so there's so many episodes, Sam. Um, 
You can head over to 293. Jeez. ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast and uh, drop us a little tip. It helps us keep the lights on or charge bends um evs the fancy lights on the helpful. ev charger yeah it keeps yeah. keeps them flashing uh what are you going to be talking about next week sammy uh next week i will hopefully finally be uh un- be unleashed and we'll be able to talk about the civic type r oh my goodness uh, i'm going to be talking about the eqs that i mentioned so that's a that's a pretty interesting episode i think wicked i'm looking forward to it and i'll talk to you then ben bye everybody bye